Let me begin this morning by reading from the word that Miriam and Arthur just sang about. I want to read a passage of scripture. This won't be on the screen. Listen carefully to these words of Matthew chapter 16. Now Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. As he did so, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples said, Some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not overpower it. Matthew 16. Then I turn over to Matthew 28, and I read beginning in the 16th verse, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Pray with me if you would. Holy Spirit, only you can reveal to us the truth of your word, and I ask that you do that this morning. I ask that people would hear your voice and not the voice of a preacher that people would be led by you, that you would give clarity to what you would ask of them, what you would invite them to, that you would give clarity to your call on their life, that you would give us boldness to respond appropriately, that you would give us boldness to say yes, that you would give us boldness to follow you, that we would allow faith to win out over fear, that we would believe you. Have your will and way in every heart and life is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the final Sunday that we spend in this series that we have called Reset. I want to remind you again, if I could, why we started this series in the first place or why I sensed in my spirit it was a series that God wanted us to study together and to look at together, it really came out of a burden that I have had in my heart, really, for many, many years. It came out of a, of a desire. It came out of a frustration. It came out of a lack of understanding of why there are so many in the church of Jesus Christ today, all over this great country, all over the world. In this church, in Avalon Church, there are so many that tend to have this casual relationship 
with Jesus. I say that not because I know what happens behind closed doors at your home, because I'm sure that many of you would say, Dale, you don't have any idea what kind of relationship I have with Jesus. He and I are buds. He and I are pals. He and I talk every day, and maybe that's the case. I just don't see people becoming involved in the movement, in the cause that Jesus said would be about his kingdom. I just, I, I see so many that are kind of on the fringes. And, and, and I, I want them to come and I want them to be a part of, of ministry and loving and caring and serving other people. And listen to me, please. It's not because I desire that we have more workers. It's not it at all. It's because I love you. It's because I want you to experience all that God has for you. I want you to experience all that he wants to do in your life. And by being involved in, in, in ministry, by, by coming out from the fringes, by, by saying yes, by following Jesus, by getting involved, by making this a priority in your life, you begin to experience all that Jesus has for you. And I want that for you so, so bad. I think that we did this series really because we wanted to face the question, each of us as individuals, this question is Christianity. Is my relationship with Jesus really worth and worthy of everything that I am and everything that I have? Is it worthy of a priority in my life? Is it worthy of me giving my love and everything that I am to him over and above my family even, which is what Jesus calls us to? Over and above my job, over and above materialism, over and above hobbies, over and above relationships, over and above everything. I'm dedicated to him. I love him. I give myself wholly and fully to him. Is he worthy of that? Now, listen, I know that you would say, yeah, 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 he's worthy. But, but are we demonstrating that in our lives and by our lifestyles? And so, over the past several weeks, we have looked at questions and we have looked at truths and we have looked at topics like this. Whoops. All right, Peter, I think I'm going to need your help. We looked at topics like this. Who is Jesus? Which I want to say, I think, is the first question you need to answer in this spiritual journey. And it's the most important question that you can ask yourself in this spiritual journey. Who is Jesus to you? Is he who is, is he who he claimed to be? We looked, at, uh, we looked at mistakers versus sinners. We looked at dealing with sin in our lives. We looked at owning it. We looked at a, at a heavenly father who loves us and opens up his arms to us. And sometimes we think that our sin might disqualify us from intimacy and relationship with him. And yet this heavenly father says to us, bring it to me. Bring it to me. And I will take that upon myself. I will take that from you. I will offer forgiveness for that. We looked at belief 
we looked at this topic of how is it that we can know, are we in right standing with God? How does God view us? What kind of relationship is there? We looked at relationships and rules. Which one of those comes first? Do we have the rules and then we enter into a relationship? Do we have a relationship and then we, we, we battle and, and we deal with these rules that are a result of the relationship? And we looked at that and how it involves and how it impacts our relationship with Jesus. We looked at the most important, we look at an important question, what can wash away my sin? We talked about dealing with our past. We looked at grace. And we talked about God's involvement in our lives, even though we don't deserve it. And last week, we looked at a faith that saves. Is your faith really, is your faith really a faith that offers forgiveness? Is your faith really a faith that offers eternal life? Today, I want to just kind of wrap things up by just telling you a simple, simple story that really is a story that you're familiar with. And it starts toward the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry, and it begins with the passage of Scripture in Matthew 16 that we just read. Jesus and the disciples are are traveling. They're probably 100, 150 miles north of Jerusalem. They're even north of the Sea of Galilee, and they're, they're approaching this city called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was a city that was named after Caesar Augustus, who was the son of Julius Caesar. Maybe, I don't know, the scripture doesn't tell us, but maybe they were talking about Caesar Augustus. He, he had died about about 15 years earlier, and they had renamed this city Caesarea Philippi. And so maybe they were talking about him and who he was and what he represented and his lineage. And he was actually adopted by, by uh, Caesar Augustus and, or, or, or Julius Caesar, who was the emperor of Rome at the time. And so maybe they were having those kind of conversations. And Jesus kind of breaks into that conversation, and he says, who do people say I am? Well, some people think you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead, and some people think that you're a prophet, and Elijah maybe, or Jeremiah maybe. And Jesus looked the disciples eyeball to eyeball, and he said, but, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, who was often the bold one in the group, was often the one to speak up, sometimes speaking up when he probably shouldn't have, but this time he speaks up and he says, you are the Christ, which means Messiah. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to Peter, you're right, you're absolutely right. But I want you to understand that you didn't learn that from any man. But God revealed that to you. Flesh and blood didn't reveal it to you. But God revealed that to you. And based Peter on this declaration, based Peter on this truth, on this understanding that I am the Messiah, that I am the Christ, that I am God, that I am the very son of the living God, based on that, he says this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of hell, it's as if he's saying nothing. Nothing will overcome it. 
The gates of hell won't overcome it. Death will not overcome it. The enemy will not overcome it. Sin will not overcome it. Flesh and blood will not overcome it. I'm going to build a church, and nothing can stop me from doing that. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're absolutely right, and I'm going to build a church, and there's nothing, nothing that can stop me from doing that. I will accomplish this declaration, this prediction, this mission, this goal. I will build my church. And as as we've talked about before, the word church there is the word ecclesia. And it means gathering. It means assembly. It means a congregation. Jesus was saying that he would build a people, that he would build a congregation. This wasn't about a place. This wasn't about a structure. This was about people. I will build this assembly of people. Nothing can stop me from doing that. Jesus' heart is people. Ministry is about people. He will build not a place. He will build a people. I imagine that the disciples were a little confused by this. They didn't fully understand. I mean, there was just 12 of them them there. He had called them to participate with him in his mission, in his goal, in his his purpose, in in this declaration. But they were only 12. They weren't well-educated. They weren't well-traveled. They had very little influence. But they took Jesus at his word. They left that area north of the Sea of Galilee, and they traveled back to Jerusalem, even though the disciples said to Jesus, don't go to Jerusalem. There's trouble there. There's trouble there. But Jesus said, I don't go anywhere. The Father doesn't tell me to go. I don't say anything the Father doesn't tell me to say. And the Father told me to go to Jerusalem, and we're off to Jerusalem And they all went back to Jerusalem after this incredible dialogue that they had. When they got back to Jerusalem, you know the story. It wasn't long after that that Jesus was arrested. And he was crucified. And I find myself wondering what the disciples were thinking at that point. Here's this man, this man who they had given their lives to, that they had followed that had made this prediction, that had made this declaration that I will build an assembly of people, a gathering of people, and there's nothing that can stop me from doing that. And I imagine that after Jesus' crucifixion, that if, 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 the, if the, the detractors, if those who, who didn't believe would come to Peter or, or come to James or or come to one of the disciples and say, well, do you still think he's the Messiah? Do you still think he's the deliverer? Do you still think he's the son of God? I have to believe that immediately following that crucifixion and those kind of conversations because of the the, the, the actions that I see the disciples following that time that they would look at and they would go, no, I I guess he wasn't. I, I, I guess it's just not true. He's he's gone. But then something happened. Something happened that changed their lives forever and ever. And I submit to you, changed the world forever and ever. On the third day after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, God raised him from the dead. Peter and the disciples saw him. 
and touched him and talked to him. And it changed them. And they were different kind of people. The resurrection changed them. And it has power to change us today. Forty days later, after Jesus was resurrected, he met with a small ecclesia, a small gathering, a small congregation, a small group of people. I don't know exactly how many, maybe about 120 total. And Jesus says something to them on that mountain before he ascended into heaven. He says something to them that is directly tied to his declaration, to his prediction that he would build a church, a gathering of people, and nothing could stop him. And here's what he said to them. Then Jesus came to them and said, Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. All authority. Now, either that's true or he's crazy. How arrogant that Jesus would say that in his hand he possessed all authority. But these 120, they believed him. They knew that he had authority because they had experienced a resurrected Jesus. And any man who can predict the way he would die and predict that three days later he would rise and then pulls it off is worthy of their dedication, is worthy of their faith, is worthy of their belief, is worthy of their following. And they believed him when he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he said, go. Because all authority has been given to me, here's how I want to direct that authority. Here's how I want to use that authority. Go and make disciples of all nations. I, I, I'm not sure that they, that they were really able to understand what Jesus was asking them to do. I'm not even sure that they knew what the word nations meant. Or disciples, what, what does that mean exactly? And where are we to go? And how are we to get there? And we don't have any money. And we don't have any education. And, and, and obviously you're inviting us to... To, to, to fulfill your mission, your declaration to build this church, but we don't know what to do. Jesus says, go, make Jesus followers of every people group. That's vision. <laughs> Jesus knew exactly what he wanted to do. Go and make Jesus followers. Go and make Jesus followers. That's the calling. Go and make Jesus followers. And go to every people group. I'm going to build my church. And nothing can stop me. All authority is in my hand. Go and make disciples of all nations. And surely, I am with you always. To the very end of the age. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will be with you. And after he said these words, he left. <laughs> but they would soon fully understand what he meant by his presence in their life as they traveled back to Jerusalem and began to experience the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus in their lives. They go back to Jerusalem with this newfound boldness and 
they begin telling people about their experience. They begin telling people, all the people, anybody who would listen, they begin to tell them about Jesus. Their message was very, very simple. You killed him. God raised him from the dead. We've seen him. He is the Messiah. He's the giver of life. He's the forgiver. He'll set you free. He's the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That was their message. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. We've been with him. We've touched him. He is who he says he is. He's the Savior of the world. And then they go back to Jerusalem and they begin preaching this message and the church begins to grow. And thousands of people are added to the church, this assembly, just like Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And thousands more and thousands more. And it becomes a great movement. It's a cause. It's something to be a part of. It's something that's bigger than yourselves. It was bigger than the disciples, and they began to experience this incredible, incredible movement as they gave their lives to it, to the cause, to the movement. I looked up movement in the dictionary, a principle, an ideal, a goal to which a person or group is dedicated. Dedicated. Worthy of priority in my life. Worthy of being first place. Worthy of sacrifice. Worthy of giving myself to. They begin to see the church grow through this incredible movement and the cause. And that lasted about three years. And the persecution that had started three years earlier got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse to the point where a vast, vast majority of the gathering, of the assembly, of the congregation fled Jerusalem. It's called the dispersion. And they fled throughout all of Asia Minor. They'd go to Corinth and they'd go to Ephesus, names that you're familiar with, and they'd go to Rome and Spain and they'd go to Egypt and they'd go all over the known world at the time. This movement that had been so explosive, this cause that they had given themselves to, to began to slow down until there wasn't a whole lot left of it. Then God in his providence and God in his sovereignty chooses a man to revive the cause, to revive the movement. He chooses a man that none of us would have ever chosen, the most unlikely man he chooses and he calls to himself. It was Saul of Tarsus who became a Jesus follower after spending years of his life doing everything he could to do away with this movement, to crush this cause. Persecution, killing, throwing him in jail, hated Christians, hated Christians, hated Christians. I, I, I'm going to put an end to this. And that's how he spent his life. And then he came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. And it turned his life upside down. And he was converted and he became a follower of Jesus. And in his interaction with Jesus, in his, in his experience with Jesus, in his spirit, he came to realize the truth that Jesus was the Messiah. That Jesus was the Son of God. 
that Jesus was the giver of life, that Jesus was the Savior. And he gives himself wholly and totally to Jesus. And after a time of learning from Jesus and three years in the wilderness and learning and learning and learning, he goes back to Jerusalem and he meets with the leaders of the assembly of the congregation of the ecclesia. He meets with the leaders of the church, this movement that has been taking place, but it has died down to almost nothing now. And he says to the leaders, we got to get going. We got to take this message to the world. You have confined yourself to Jerusalem and to Judea and maybe as far as Samaria and maybe up to Galilee, but that's it. But we, our calling is to take this to, to every people group, to all nations. We are to take this message, this good news, this gospel, this saving knowledge of who Jesus is. We got to get going. We got to take it to the world. So let's put together a plan. I'll tell you what we'll do, Paul says to the leaders of the church. You take Jerusalem, and I'll take everything else. And that's what they did. And Paul, this man called by Jesus, none of us would have called him. But Jesus calls him and asks him to come and be a part of this movement, of this cause, of this, of this ecclesia, of this mission. And Paul's an educated man, and he's a respected man, and he's a, a man who's been well-traveled, and, and he's well-thought of, and he, he's able to have audience with people that maybe others wouldn't be able to have audience with. And he begins to travel. He gets on boats, and he goes, and he, and, and he begins. And it's the same message. You killed him. God raised him from the dead. I've seen him. I've had conversation with him. He is who he says he is. It's Jesus, the giver of life and the forgiver. And he would go and he would spread that message. All of those people that had dispersed from Jerusalem, all those people who had fled, they had fled, but they were still followers of Jesus. They were just meeting in their little home, you know? And for some of them, it was just the family. And Paul would go to them and he would, he would encourage them and he would teach them and he would go to the synagogues and he would tell the, the Jewish people in the synagogues about Jesus and he would preach the resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection, the event that changed the whole world, that turned the world upside down. And the movement began to prosper again. And the movement began to grow again. And Paul gave his life to this. He sacrificed for this. It was worthy of this. For 30 years, he ministered. And though he experienced persecution all along the way, for 30 years, he was faithful. For 30 years, he gave himself. For 30 years, he taught. For 30 years, he spread the gospel. For 30 years, he would establish Ecclesia there, ecclesia there, ecclesia there, gatherings there, congregations there. And they would prosper and they would grow. Just like Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and nothing can stop me. And though we see all of these obstacles and all of these hurdles and all of these reasons why this movement should not even exist today, God is provident and God is sovereign and God is powerful. Jesus says, I have all authority. I have all authority. And I will build my church. And nothing will stop me. And after 30 years of ministry, Paul finds himself arrested and in the prison in Rome. It wasn't the first time he'd been in a prison in Rome. The first time they let him go, which is another story for another time. But 
this last time, this second time, would be his last time in a prison with Rome, in Rome. Now look, I, I have to ask myself the question, what, what was he thinking? He knew death was imminent. He knew that. Rome was under the rule of Nero. Nero was the kind of emperor of Rome, the Roman Empire, that would take Christians and put oil in their hair and set their hair on fire so that he would have light in his garden. He was in Nero's prison. He was down the street from where they would take Christians and just throw them to the lions and have them eaten and devoured. So Paul's sitting in this prison and he knows death is imminent and I can only begin to imagine what he's thinking to himself. Was it worth it? Is this going to stick? Did it work? Or is this the end of it? And then I, I wonder if you, if I could, could go back in time and sit with him in that cell, maybe just the evening before they would come and get him and execute him, what we would say to him, knowing what we know today, what would we say to him? I wrote down a few things. The city where you will die, Paul, where idols and signs of thousands of false gods, this Roman city where evil seems to be everywhere, where anything but purity and holiness exists in this city, this city, Paul, because of the movement because of the cause will one day be considered a holy city in the world. Where Nero's circus is, where, where Christians were eaten alive, there will be a beautiful cathedral in that very spot honoring your dear friend Peter. Here in Rome, there will be churches in every major city in the world. The letters, the letters that you have written to churches and you weren't even sure that they got to the churches. You weren't even sure if they received them, if they were read, if they were distributed. The letters that you wrote to those churches, they will be translated into over 1,200 different languages. And they will be read till the end of the age. One day this city will be adorned with crosses everywhere. They won't be crosses that point to the crucifixion of thousands and thousands of people. They won't be crosses that point to a crucifixion of punishment. They'll be crosses that point to one crucifixion, the crucifixion of the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice. There'll be crosses everywhere, Paul. I wish you could see it. The Colosseum, where so many Christians were martyred, will be dedicated to those very martyrs by a cross that hangs in the Colosseum. The church of Jesus Christ, Paul. The ecclesia, the gathering, the movement, the cause. It'll be the hope of the world. I don't think he would believe us if we told him that. As he said in that jail cell. But it has happened. And it has happened just like Jesus said it would. I will build my church and nothing 
can stop me from doing that. And folks, here's the amazing thing about it. It's amazing to me that I and you have been invited to participate in this movement. We've been invited to participate in this cause the greatest movement, the greatest cause this world has ever known to participate through the ecclesia, through the church that Jesus has built, is continuing to build. It's about people. It's a cause greater than any other cause. We've been invited to participate in that cause, to share, to love, to care, to tell people, we killed him. God raised him from the dead. I have a relationship with him. I've interacted with him. He's turned my life upside down. I'm telling you, he's real. He's real. He's the giver of life. He's the forgiver. He's the savior of the world. He's our only hope. We've been invited to participate in that. We've been invited to participate in this in this, in this movement, in, in, this, in this cause. So what will we do? This is the, is the, is the beginnings of my, of my burden to see people that would be willing to sit on the peripheral, to sit on the edges, to be satisfied with 90 minutes a week of songs and and, and some kind of sermon or message, and that's all they need, and that's all they want. And yet this is a movement that is worthy of our death, our very life. It's worthy of our sacrifice. It's worthy of priority number one in our life. What will we do with the invitation that he who builds the church offers to us? Come and be a part. And so I ask you, what do you need to do to make this movement, this cause, this truth, this gospel, this God priority in your life? For some of you here, it's a decision to trust him, to believe him, to place your faith in him. For some of you here, it, 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 it is to begin this relationship with him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to heaven, no one gets to the Father except by me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If I believe in my heart, in Jesus, if I confess with my mouth that God raised him from the dead, I'll be saved. I transfer my trust to him. And for some of you in this room, that's your first step. That's, that's what you need to do to be a part of what God has invited you to be a part of. You need to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to take away your sins. Some of you, you know what? Some of you in here have a relationship with Jesus. You've never been baptized. Though Jesus commanded us to. So maybe, 
Maybe what you need to do is say, I, 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 I want to begin this life of obedience by getting baptized. By the way, we're going to do that next Sunday. You can sign up in the lobby. Some of you just need to rededicate yourself to him. You just need to, you know, I want to invite you to come down here. Just come down here and just, and just, and just say, Jesus, you know what? You haven't been my priority. I want you to be my priority. I want you to be number one. Why? Because he's worth it. Because he's worthy of that. Because this is a cause that's greater than any cause in the world. This is a movement that's greater than any movement in the world. Because he has invited us. Oh, Jesus, I, I've put other things before you. I worry about stuff I shouldn't worry about. I give my money to stuff I shouldn't give my money to. I spend my time doing things I shouldn't do. I need to give my time to you, my money to you. I need, myself, I need to give everything to you. I just want to rededicate myself to you. You need to come do that. For some, it's, it, it's you've been putting off and you've been putting off and you've been putting off. You know, I, I, I'm going to start serving. I'm going to find a place in ministry. I'm going to get involved. But you never have and you need to do that. Maybe that's what you need to do. Some of you, it has to do with giving. I trust him to take away my sins, but I don't trust him with my money. Look, when you serve in a church, when you give to a church, you are giving to the greatest cause this world has ever known. And you are giving to something that is supernatural and unexplainable. Because he takes what we give, he takes how we serve, and he multiplies that. Some of you, it's in this area that you need to say, I'm going to start now. He's worthy of that. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to have a time of invitation. I, look, it's time for decision, guys. It's time for decision. It, 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 it's kind of a, look, everybody's welcome here. I'm glad that you're here. I want you to be here. But it's kind of a, a time in the, in the life of our church and where we're at as a church that we say, I'm either going to get in or I'm going to get out. It's worth it. He's worth it. I'm going to serve or I'm not. I'm going to give or I'm not. I'm going to participate or I'm not. I'm going to encourage or I'm not. I'm going to love or I'm not. I'm going to care. I'm, I'm going to, I'm, 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 this fringe stuff, I, I, I can't do that anymore. Not in this church, not here. I can't. Here we will proclaim that he is worthy of our life, of our sacrifice, of all that we are and all that we have. Now it's decision time. I'm here in the front. There will be others here in the front. I want to invite you to come. I want you to invite you to come. If you come and pray, we won't bother you. If you want somebody to pray with you, let me know. and We'll find somebody to pray with you. It's decision time. The invitation is not extended from me. It's extended from the one who said, I'm going to build a people, a congregation, and nothing is going to stop me. And 2,000 years have proven that what he says is true. So Father God, we stand before you, your servants, your people, your congregation, 
your ecclesia. We are yours to do whatever you want with. Call us to yourself and give us boldness to follow you no matter the cost. If we have to take up our cross daily to follow you, so be it. You are worthy. You are worthy. I want to ask Arthur to lead us and I want to ask you to respond to this invitation.